Amen. Hey, that's right. Hopefully we can finish up the exciting topic in our world religions, cults, and the occult study, and that is on the issue of Judaism. That's right. Whoever said that, I'm sure it was Tom. And uh, he's on the ball. That's right. Judaism. And once again, as you uh, guys turn there to that chapter, lesson uh, number two, we've already seen that the Jewish people are very important. God's not done with them. You need to understand them, certainly when it comes to the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, certainly the second coming of Jesus. And then what we saw last time is modern Judaism. What is modern Judaism? Well, believe it or not, they need to be saved just like anybody else on the planet. Okay, because modern Judaism, unfortunately, is a works based salvation which is not salvation salvation is a gift from god you don't work for it you don't earn it because we can't we're all disqualified all of us in all falls short of the glory of god there's nothing you could do no ritual no clothing no external trappings nothing stand up sit down all you want do this do refrain from that that's not going to save you it's a gift from God, okay? But Judaism, unfortunately, that's what we saw. Now, what we're going to see tonight is it's broken down into three categories, okay? And I, as I went through this, I saw some similar, uh, similar aspects of Christianity, okay, as well. And the first one we're going to talk about is what is called Orthodox, Orthodox uh, Judaism, okay? So let's take a look at that at the top of the page uh, three there. Judaism, it says, is usually broken down into three broad denominations, each itself containing a variety of beliefs and practices, and these are the three, Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative, okay? Now, none of the three denominations emphasize a personal relationship with God. Why? Because as we finished up last time, Judaism is a religion of deed, not creed, okay? It's, it's a works-based salvation, which is not salvation, okay? And so that's obviously what their focus is on, okay? They are much more interested in living according to tradition is your first blank there. Turn to Sandy and say, hey, Sandy, we made it. We filled in a blank. Okay, all none of you. Praise God. Tradition is your blank there. Okay, then a personal relationship with the Creator. And it's a good thing we see no people doing that today. It's just the Jewish people who are hung up on tradition. Man-made rules and regulations. Here's what you got to do. That's all over the place, right? And every, quote, religion has their trappings, don't they? Okay, different ones. But it's still the same thing. Man's tradition over God's truth, okay? And even in the church, right? Because we all know the only thing you need to do to become a Christian is go to church services and wear dockers. Throw in a polo and you could be a pastor. <laughs> yeah, whatever, right? But that's the traditions, right? You think that? Hey, I don't drink or curse or chew or hang around with them that do. Yuck, yuck, yuck. I'm a Christian, right? No, that's external stuff. That doesn't make you a Christian. But it's the same thing that's going on here, tradition, okay? Orthodox Judaism, let's take a look at that. It adheres to a strict application of the laws and ethics in the Talmud, or the oral law, as developed by the rabbinical leaders. Notice where it came out of, rabbinical leaders, this traditions of man, it's not the word of God. An Orthodox Jew will generally adhere to the 13 articles of faith that we saw last week, if you were here, and they're expected to observe all, that's right, all, I hope you got it memorized by now, 613 mitzvah, or commandments. Right? including all the rules of what you're supposed to do with an egg, don't eat an egg, kill a chicken. If it laid an egg, just kill a chicken anyway. Get it out of here. No. <laughs> hey, it's the truth. No. <laughs> all those commandments. Remember, like, oh, just give me a break, right? Uh, there's no way. But that's Orthodox Judaism, okay? However, there's certain core practices, things you got to do, okay, and or refrain from if you're going to be considered Orthodox Jew. Okay, and this is what we have. Refraining from murder, idolatry, and certain biblically prohibited sexual practices, right? Because again, that's all you got to do as a Christian. You just try to obey the Ten Commandments. I haven't murdered nobody. I'm, I are a Christian. It's the same mentality, isn't it? That's not, and, and again, people think that. I can't tell you how many people 
that uh, I've encountered as a pastor over the years, not just here in Vegas, but across the United States. That's that same mentality. Well, I'm just going to try to go to be a good person, and not, you know, I haven't gone to jail, I never did drugs. That doesn't make you a Christian, right? You've lied, you've stolen, you, right? And see, and notice how they, they pick big sins. Murder, ha, 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 idolatry, right? I don't think we even know what idolatry is. Right? Because we don't commit idolatry. Because idolatry, all we do is just like, it's like the Buddhists. And we rub the Buddha belly. And we throw incense and coins and get good luck. John, don't rub your belly. That's kind of weird. But anyway. <laughs> and you did that, not me. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, it's idolatry. Anything can become an idol. We can become an idol. Right? Right? Money. Possessions. Yeah. TV, entertainment. All kinds of stuff. Okay? Uh, but that, that's the big one. So refraining from activities that violate the Jewish Sabbath or the Jewish holidays. Remember we saw last week all the crazy things out there and that was just the tip of the tip of the iceberg right but if you're going to be orthodox you got to keep all that stuff observing the jewish dietary laws right and that's what we saw with the uh hebrew roots movement trying to come in the church you got to keep those too no you don't okay no you don't observing the laws of family purity only marrying within the jewish uh belief and 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 uh, seed there observing circumcision for males okay the external sign of the old testament covenant orthodox judaism falls into two broad categories modern orthodox and uh hasidim and the modern orthodox are usually more academic while the hasidim are more mystical now underline that asterisk that because we're going to get into that in just a second i'm going to take a detour mystical uh hasidic men usually wear the black or dark gray suits and always wear the the skull caps okay now let's talk about this mysticism because now we're dealing with orthodox uh, uh judaism what's considered that right and we saw that there's an element of them that is mystical, okay, mystical. Now, what you're going to see is this is actually a parallel to the same similar behavior in the American church with a group called the charismatic movement, okay? And that, this is very similar. It's a mystical experience, right? Now, the mystical mysticism, Jewishism today, is something that's called Kabbalah, okay? You ever heard of Kabbalah, right? Yeah, and that's what we're going to get to. Madonna's one of the biggest ones promoting it. But let me tell you what this mysticism is based on. Okay, Kabbalah uh, was developed between the 6th and 13th centuries among the Jews in Babylonia, Italy, uh, Italy, France, and Spain. The word Kabbalah means to receive, is what that word means, as if you're receiving a higher, better, new revelation from God. Does that sound familiar? charismatic community does that too i got a word from god he told me and that's the same thing that's going on here uh the word was uh, first used by mainstream judaism but later came to refer to those who believed only in a listen a select few who were given this secret knowledge from god and the true meaning of the scriptures very similar again to the charismatic movement they've got the secret how dare you question them they've got it right almost very a similar uh, attitude of roman catholicism how dare you the laymen pick up the bible you have no right to interpret that only the priests the learned men have the right to do it's kind of the same uh, similar attitude kabbalah uses occult practices and is obviously considered to be a cult okay now it uh, closely resembles some of the beliefs held in the greek uh gnostics okay Gnostics, you got uh, uh, gnosis, okay, uh, which is the Greek word for knowledge, okay, and this is actually where we get the word, if you put an all, a negative before, agnostic, that means no, okay, no knowledge, I don't have enough knowledge to determine whether there's a God or not, that's what it means to be agnostic, that's where we get that from, but the Gnostics is something that we even deal with uh, in the, with, with Paul and things of that nature, right, and Kabbalah basically uh, is kind of a warmed over version of that. Uh, kind of combined with a new agey kind of feel, which new age, if you do the research, also comes from that, 
So it's again, once again, the enemy, all he does is he takes an old lie, like Gnosticism, okay, and he fooled a lot of people in those generations, but then people counteracted it, and so what's he do? He waits a while, comes back, relabels it, repackages it, and it's the same core lie. That's what you have with Kabbalah, right? And then people come out, they expose it, whatever, and so then they waited generations, and he comes, repackages it, relabels it, calls it New Age, and it's the same thing, and people are falling for it today. Okay, but that's basically where it comes from. Okay, they believe that they have a select few people were given deeper understanding or knowledge, secret knowledge. Okay, and they teach that emanations from God did the work of creation. Okay, which is not what the Bible says. It came directly from God. Okay, and uh, then with each uh, descending emanation, uh, they became further and further away of God, and the final emanation took the personal form of angels. No. God is the one who's responsible for creation, and he's above and beyond creation, separated from it. He didn't, like, devolve into just, okay, now he's just an angel, okay? And, uh, and then we go back to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, okay? So, obviously, it's unbiblical, all right? Uh, Kabbalah does not seek the plain meaning of Scripture. Now, this is where it gets all whacked out, right? Because they'll say, well, it's based on the Old Testament and things of that nature. No, it's not. It's the same thing that cares now. Oh, we believe in the Bible. We, 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 in fact, we only hold the things that we uphold in the Bible. Well, Practice is you don't even do that, right? You're going outside the Bible. You've got some secret knowledge, some secret word from God, and this is what they do. It's a mystical way, very subjective, and one of the things they use is numerology to find the hidden meaning, right? To come up with the spiritual truth. Now, you all know that if you want to be spiritual, you've got to squint one eye and move your head this way and then go like this. <sighs> Yeah, whatever, right? But that's what it is. And instead of like, okay, and I've shared this example before in our discipleship studies, right? When the Bible talks about, and, and sometimes the Bible does contain numbers, right? But they go like, it's whatever. So the Bible says, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he told the disciples, throw the net over here on this side of the boat, and they caught a bunch of fish. And I think it named it. It was like something like 153 fish or something like that, right? And, and so guess what? He just, that was a big catch. That's all it means. It was a miracle. It was like, wow, there's so many fish, you almost bust our nets, Right? All right, we didn't know there's nothing there. He told, right, so that's all it means, right? But then these kind, this mindset, charismatic mindset, Kabbalah, this is what they do with the scripture, right? It goes, oh, no. You see, because if you, see, I have secret knowledge. And if you take one plus five, that equals six. And then it just so happens it's followed by a three. So if you take three sixes, what you're dealing with is secretly the code for the mark of the beast. The boat represents humanity. The net, it's just a fish, right? But this is what they do, right? And so basically, you can turn the scripture into anything. And that's the basis of their beliefs. It's very subjective. It's, like, it's crazy. You don't take it at face value, which contradicts what God says. God gave us his word, so guess what? He wants us to understand it. He doesn't do all this stuff. This is why I'm not a big fan of all these Bible codes and secret codes and the codes this. And if you had to take this computer and you do it, I'm sorry. I, I think God had wrote down his word and the New Testament has been here for 2,000 years because he wants us to understand it. He didn't wait until our lifetime, our generation to develop computer technology so that people who know computers and mathematical science, that they can tell us the secret knowledge that's in here. That's a bunch of baloney. I'm sorry. God wants us to know his word. It's always been that way. So don't fall for that. But that's what they do, numerology and stuff. And there's other things. We'll get to that uh, in just a second. Uh, it's also pantheistic in its mindset, this mysticism, 
that all is God. And obviously, it does not believe in the necessity of salvation or faith in Jesus Christ. Now, their big goal in life, okay, if you will, what, what, so what do they do, right? This is how they approach the scripture and develop truth. It's subjective, much like the Charis Maxwell. Basically, they believe that they have got this uh, secret knowledge so that they can have a true relationship. If you follow the teachings of Kabbalah, you could have a true relationship with God and man and the universe, okay? And that God has these, these emanations from him, and he's got these 10 things called the sephirot, okay? It's what they call that there. And it's represented by what they call the tree of life, right? Their version of the tree of life, okay? And basically, the whole idea is uh, that you have to work your way up to these different levels, okay? These 10 levels with this secret knowledge that you can come back basically to divinity, Right? which is new age, that you can become God, right? which is the live Genesis 3, right? Exactly. So that's, that's basically the whole goal with their secret knowledge and their secret interpretations. Ooh, right? You too can achieve and be free and become God and things of that nature, okay? Uh, and that. So basically, that's kind of what it is. Also, that not just with the numbers <clears throat> that they'll tweak, but even the shapes of Hebrew letters, okay? The gematria of the words, the mathematical values, okay? Uh, and this is how they all twist that. Okay, this, and if you add this, and you take this, and you add this, and if you combine it with this, and you come up, that's their whole basis, okay? So again, it's very subjective. Uh, they also teach reincarnation. Does the Bible teach that? No. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed man to die once, then face judgment. The Bible never teaches that. Also, they teach a type of karma, again, inner divinity, and you don't need a redeemer, right? Because it's all self, right? Self can work its way back up right? These 10 emanations, okay, etc. Now, they, they base a lot of their beliefs, modern Kabbalism, if you will, bases on three sources called the Zohar, the Zohar, and the Sefer Yetzirah. Yeah, say that one five times real fast. Okay, uh, but anyway, but a lot of their verbiage is almost similar, synonymous, even sounding just like New Age, uh, including like a mystical awareness, a higher awareness, a cosmic fluctuation, if you're any Familiar with New Age, very same thing. And even the mystical academy. Now, this is actually a trend in the charismatic church today, in the hyper-charismatic movement, right? Because in order for you to become really spiritual as a Christian, you have to attend one of their academies. It's the same word they use. And you have to go to this academy, and you have to spend there for three years or whatever and listen to this and sit under the feet of this guy and learn these techniques. And it's a saint, bingo, that's one of them. Yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're doing the same similar thing. But again, once you say that you can have something outside the realm of God's word, okay, this is where you get this kind of stuff. Kabbalah does the same thing. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so now you're taking a look at basically, uh, boy, that's kind of wacky with all due respect. Nobody believes in that. A lot of people do. And a lot of reason why is because you got celebrities that are promoting this. And of course, one of the biggest ones is Madonna. Okay. Uh, who is promoting this. Now, Madonna, listen to this quote, quote, is as famous in Israel, right now, she is famous in Israel for her devotion to Kabbalah as her voice. She is seriously into this, okay? In fact, she was offered a spot on the prestigious Cannes Film Festival jury, but turned it down because she would have missed two Kabbalah meetings back in London. Very serious about it. She bought a $2.9 million London mansion to convert into what's being described as a Kabbalah hotel, or a, a spiritual drop-in center. Uh, Britney Spears got involved in this. Of course, she had connections with Madonna and uh, introduced her to Kabbalah. And she said, quote, Britney Spears, quote, it has helped me to get rid of a lot of negative influences that were guiding me down the wrong path. There came a point where not even my family had the right answers I needed. 
But through Kabbalah, I was able to look within myself and clear all the negative energy and turn my life around. Now, what you're also going to see is a very similar kind of a mindset. And Lord willing, I believe we have a whole chapter on that. And that is with the false teaching called Scientology, right? Because they got a very similar mindset. Oh, by the way, it costs money to do this, to work your way up to this. Now, they have a different system, right? And they basically call it getting, becoming clear. That's their ultimate goal. And you got to get rid of this negativity that's holding you back from living a fulfilled life, right? But again, it costs money. And you got to get rid of these negative things called engrams. Ew, get it off, right? It's a bunch of baloney is what's going on there, okay? But it's a very similar mindset uh, with that, okay? Uh, money is a big motivator. Uh, listen, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, Mick Jagger was being uh, seduced into this, and apparently they say he's a kind of a frugal guy with his cash, and they says, well, how come you, didn't, uh, how come you went away from Kabbalah? You started going down that route. He said it was the money. We couldn't go through the door of miracles, okay, unless we gave them 10% of our money, so we stopped going. So it's a money-motivated thing. It's a big cash thing, just like Scientology, big bucks, okay? And, of course, they attract the rich and the vulnerable with promises of health and wealth, the same kind of thing. Uh, the the uh, name it and claim it, uh, word of faith teachers, they do the same thing, right? They rip people off their cash. If you sow a seed to my ministry, I'll perfect health and whatever. So I was just talking to a person on the phone just the other day, uh, yesterday, and I says, I don't know about you, but, you know, these guys not only promise perfect wealth, but perfect health. And they've been preaching this for a couple decades now, if you can believe that. I, I, I think this is an easy thing to, to do. Uh, just go and do a study on the internet. Take a look at some of their pictures of them 20 years ago and today. Their faces wrinkling up and falling down like the rest of us. I thought you said I could have perfect health. Why are you sagging like the rest of us? And you mean to tell me you never once went to the hospital? You don't take cold medicine, nothing? Excuse me? I don't buy that. Okay, you're getting just as old as the rest of us are. In other words, you're falling apart. In other words, you're not experiencing perfect health. You're ripping people off your cash. But anyway, I digress. Uh, they have a major headquarters, uh, a Kabbalah headquarters in L.A., okay? And listen to this. They not only produce books and gets uh, on a yearly basis, hundreds of thousands of Kabbalah-based books, they have produced a Kabbalah energy drink. Yeah, it's uh, highly caffeinated. Gee, where's the energy come from? <laughs> highly caffeinated, vitamin-rich, and rabbi-blessed drink. For only two bucks, that's right, you get the power of Kabbalah water, incredible energy, and a great taste. Yeah. Uh, Ashton Kutcher uh, is involved in this as uh, well as Madonna uh, and Demi Moore. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the Kabbalah Center even uh, markets Kabbalah water. Okay. And it's supposed to give you Kabbalahistic powers. Okay, but I like this. The investigation discovered, though, that the water actually came from CJC Bottling, a bottling plant in Ontario, Canada, and was the subject of a public health investigation in 2002 uh, with suggestions that it was polluted water. <laughs> polluted on all levels, not just physically, but spiritually. Give me a break. What a bunch of baloney. And, of course, it's being promoted on TV and stuff. But it's also being uh, promoted in schools. How many times have you and I heard it said, oh, no, you can't have Christianity in school. Keep religion out. It's supposed to be religion. It's only Christianity. It's exactly right, Thomas, what's going on. Kabbalah is being pushed in schools big time. Now, what they're doing, they're doing the same thing that when we get to that chapter, Lord willing, on Hinduism. Hinduism, when they first came to America at the end of the 1800s, okay, nobody accepted it. We still had a strong Judeo-Christian ethic. And so basically, they waited several decades, came back in about the 50s, 60s, especially with the Beatles, and they repackaged it, right? And they sold it as a mind science, that it's good for your health, right? That if you meditate, stress will go away. Well, it does have a physical effect, but it's still a spiritual exercise. Same thing with yoga. 
you're yoking, yoke, yoke, that's what yoga means, yoke, you're yoking with the Hindu deities with these practices. But now it's good for exercise and it's creeping into the church. So they repackage it to seduce people into becoming good Hinduists, okay? They're doing the same thing when it comes uh, to Kabbalah. Listen to this. Uh, uh, in Sherman Oaks, in a, a, a classroom, Jenna Zucker invites the first and second graders to an imaginary picnic. And the children are taking part in an after-school program. And she says to them, what does greater satisfaction bring? And a little boy, Matthew, says, spiritual power. And she asks him, where does that power come from? And he answers, your inner light. And where is that light found? In your heart. Now, doesn't that sound like the mindset of a lot of Hollywood movies today? You don't need a savior. It's mankind. It's you. It's the Whitney Houston theology, right? The greater love is to love yourself. It's all you inside you. And you can make it happen. It's you. It's the same kind of thing that's being taught. Uh, it's called Spirituality for Kids. Okay, in fact, they got a website. That's the website, spiritualityforkids, I believe, .com was on, on, on today. Uh, and it's actually being taught in several schools. Okay, uh, and, and uh, Karen Timko, who's in charge of the counselor for the elementary schools in LA there, in the district, she said, spirituality for kids is not religious. It's tools for navigating your life. No, it's Kabbalah, that's what it is. But what do they do? They repackage it, they're lying. So if you and I say, hey, I want to go on an after-school program, and I want to teach kids 10 ways to stay out of trouble. It's the Ten Commandments. But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying 10 ways to keep kids out of trouble. And we go with it, right? How long, would, would we make it through the door? But how come this stuff gets to go through? Okay, it's crazy. That's all they did. Okay, it says it's a, quote, non-religious way of creating a better life. Okay. And, uh, and again, it's being promoted and funded with uh, Madonna, Ashton Kusher, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <clears throat> nearly 4,400 LA children have taken part already in this program. Remember, you're not supposed to have religion in schools, they said. And it's also in London as well. Uh, and uh, uh, public schools, they say, are learning uh, these, this method, as well as uh, in certain areas, you can also learn certain self-improvement methods from Scientology and also transcendental meditation offered by the David Lynch Foundation. It's new age, right? But again, it's being sold. It's being snookered to kids in school. They'll actually, if you guys ever seen the research, have you, have you, do you realize what they're teaching in schools today? Right? They're teaching them to be good new agers and all kinds of weird stuff. And so, oh, not Christianity, but everything else. They'll have them laid down on their carpets. I mean, we're talking kids in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, and they're teaching them how to meditate, transcendental meditation, Right? It's because it helps them to work, focus better on their school and to relax and stress and take it home, show your mom and dad. It's new age, right? Anyway, so that's what they're doing with that. Uh, it's being offered uh, so far to nine local elementary schools. Uh, children are taught uh, these practices, and again, it's supposed to improve them. The word Kabbalah, though, is not mentioned in class, okay? Uh, the the uh, facilitator wore red knotted strings frequently used by Kabbalah practitioners to ward off the evil eye. Right? Okay. So they even have the trappings there. Uh, but listen to this. Listen to the folks. Uh, uh, the principal said the program's easy to grasp message, and that's why he supports it. And uh, he saw improvements in the children's behavior after a year. So, hey, it's got to be good. Would we get away with that if we brought in the Bible? Right? But why is this acceptable? Okay? Uh, another principal in another school says, when they come into the office, we talk about the good guy and the opponent. When they make the wrong choice, I, they say, I should listen to the good guy. And that's part of what they do with their, the Kabbalah teachings. Okay? Uh, and then, but I like what this one parent said. Listen, when the officials at the Wonderland Avenue Elementary tried to expand the class into its magnet program this year, some parents were incensed. Quote, uh, Carolyn, give it up for Carolyn. She says, I think they're trying to spread Kabbalah without using the word. 
Turn to somebody and say, duh. Yeah, but she's got it right. That's exactly what they're doing. They've just repackaged it, changed the terminologies, okay? Meanwhile, back at the school, uh, uh, Zucker, the teacher promoting this, was marking the final session of the 10-week program. I wonder why it's 10 weeks. Interesting, okay? And she presented each student with a certificate marking completion of level one, the game of life. Ooh, that sounds exciting. And handing out cookies and red lollipops and printed with SFK, spirituality, for kids. And as the children streamed down the room, Zucker handed each with a card suggesting spiritual exercise for the week. Find a friend with whom you would like to share the rules of the game of life. Remember what's the whole thing? The rules, the right things to get up here to become God. Being taught in school today. Invite them to SFK. Ooh, wow. Okay, so basically that's what you have with Orthodox uh, Judaism, right? And you got a mystical set, uh, sect, and that's a very similar again with what you see with some of the charismatic in the church today. Now, the second one is what's called reform, okay? Reform Judaism, uh, that's going in there. And uh, reform Judaism has developed in the last centuries as Jewish people have attempted to adapt themselves to modern society. Is your next blank there, modern society. Reform Judaism has embraced modernity, liberalism, and humanism, okay? This form of Judaism has set aside the beliefs and practices of Orthodox Judaism, and uh, this form of synagogues, they're called temples, and doctrines such as the coming of the Messiah and the bodily resurrection have been spiritualized, okay, uh, which remains in Reformed Judaism is a, uh, what remains is a liberal ethical system based on a monotheistic philosophy, which generally maintains a more inclusive, what's that mean? Come one, come all, who cares, right? You know, they'll tolerate anything. Uh, regarding ideas on uh, like feminism and homosexuality. Now, basically, we have a, a version of that going on in the church today, uh, and that is called uh, liberal Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. It's just basically Christianity name only, because they do the same thing. They deny the virgin birth, they deny the miracles of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, whatever. Oh, they got stained glass windows, they got all the trappings, they got all that stuff, but there's no guts, there's no substance. And this is kind of the same version of that of Judaism, okay? Still a works-based salvation, but it's very liberal, okay? But let me give you a taste of just some of the liberality uh, that's going into the church today. Remember, it says it's very inclusive, come one, come all, feminist and homosexual. Listen to this. This is how bad it's getting. How many of you guys would like to go to a beer-drinking church service? Praise God, nobody raised their hand. I was actually scared. I thought, man, three of them are going to raise their hand. I know it. I just know it. (laughs) Now, while the sports bar service is what this one's called, uh, will not contain any sermons, no singing. Uh, Pastors say it serves, and this is actual newspaper clips. uh, The pastors say it will serve both as a place of prayer and a place to grab a beer. And they're not the only ones. Another pastor in California is doing the same thing. Quote, some churches use tactics like providing coffee and sweets. Hey, we got them out there, right? Give it up for the Tozers, right? Okay, but a new church in San Jose has a very different approach. It provides beer for its attendees. Pastor Jenkins said this is where the real ministry takes place. Come on, I'll buy you a pint. (laughs) Whoa, you gotta be kidding me. Tattoo parlor, tattoo parlor in the church. A Michigan pastor says he's doing everything he can to reach out to people who don't feel comfortable about a traditional house of worship. So he's actually opened up a tattoo parlor inside his church. Reverend Steve Bentley said his ministry is built on the belief that mainstream religion has become ineffective and irrelevant to most people. So he opened up a tattoo parlor called Serenity Tattoo in the church. You've got to be kidding. Pole dancing, right? 
uh, pole dancing, Krista Deans. She is now leading a pole dancing course for churchgoers, churchgoers in Texas. Because she realized one day, apparently, had a revelation or something, uh, that she could use her experience with exotic performing to help other women connect with the teachings of Jesus. How? The erotic church service. Listen to this. Hundreds have lined up for a new erotic church service where a female dancer danced in a skin-colored stocking in the middle of the church facility on up through the aisle. Okay. Nearly 1,000 interested people waited outside the door despite a thunderstorm. Above the entrance was the caption, a warm welcome to the vineyard of love. Then a man came to the microphone and announced, this is an erotic church service. You can move a bit closer, all of you. This, I'm not making this up, man. Okay, this was followed by saxophone music and dance. Then it was announced, eroticism and lust are not taboo, pushed aside by God. In fact, quote, lust must be lived out. This is being preached from a pulpit. Lust must be lived out. Then the faithful were asked to take part in an anointing ritual in which they should massage the forehead and the hands of the person sitting next to them. You guys want to try that? <laughs> Praise God. We passed two for two. No beer drinkers in the service and no massage in your head. All right. Uh, <laughs> can you believe that? And then one congregant said, this is how church services should be. Yeah. Then they all said, our Father together, and we're encouraged with these words. Praise God with your body, your lust, and your tenderness, and judged by the enthusiastic applause, the audience fully intended to do just that. Let me give you just one more, and we'll move on, okay? Because this is liberal Judaism, liberal Christianity. It's a very similar thing. Uh, new Age. How about just go to church service and forget the Bible, just learn all about New Age, right? The Church of England has recently hosted a New Age festival where it opens its doors to tarot card readers, crystal healers, meditation experts, and dream interpreters. That's a big one in the church today. Again, again, uh, don't mean to just beat on uh, the charismatic movement, and, uh, but uh, again, in the charismatic movement, it's about dreams and dream. Your dream means it's no. Hey, do you realize maybe it's because you had a bad piece of chicken? Which I realize is an oxymoron. Bad chicken, it's the same thing. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, uh, but again, you can make it anything. It's subjective, right? Well, I think it means this. No, I think it means that. I think. Okay, what's wrong with the Bible? What's wrong with the Bible? You want some direction? Read the Bible, okay? Anyway, the church is in trouble and attendance has fallen for the sixth year in a row. So they decided to, hey, get your heart right with God, grow up in your relationship with God, get the gospel out. No, uh, they decided to hold this New Age Festival in a bid to embrace alternative forms of Christianity. But that shouldn't be surprising because another church leader stated, quote, Harry Potter is a Christ-like figure and he promotes biblical values. Repeat after me. What? What? Right? Okay. And uh, also, a Protestant church in California teamed up with a high priestess of the pagan fertility goddess Isis to help them with guided meditations in their fifth annual Faith and Feminism Conference. The high priestess stated, quote, I've taken people to their past lives in Egypt, and that culture had all the secrets. They're the ones that knew. You've got to be kidding me. In the church, in the church today. Yeah, real quick. Yeah, Christian swingers, that, that's a whole other thing too. But, but basically, that's the inclusive mentality. Hey, who cares? We, we just got all the trappings. We got your traditional looking stained glass windows, and there's a guy behind a pulpit, but there's no substance. Okay, but the same thing there. Now, we're into the final one there is conservative. Okay, conservative uh, Judaism. 
is an uh, intermediate form between uh, Orthodox and Reform. Uh, this form of Judaism retains the feasts and many of the Jewish traditions, but attempts to make allowances for modern culture while conserving as much as possible traditional Judaism. Now, there actually is a fourth group of religious Jewish people, which does emphasize the personal relationship with God, and that's called Messianic. Uh, is your blank there, Messianic Jews. Uh, this group contains cultural or ethnic Jewish people who've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Throughout the church, age, God has maintained a remnant uh, that has the faith of Abraham according to God's uh, progressive revelation through Jesus Christ, okay? And basically, you quote here Romans 11, where basically Paul's saying, hey, listen, God hasn't given up on the Jewish people. And then he quotes Old Testament passage with Elijah, and he's freaking out. And he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. And, and But what's God's divine response? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, okay? In the same way, there's also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious uh, choice okay now they still need to be saved as we saw before just like anybody else okay but these are the jewish people of the jewish descent okay with the jewish background who've accepted jesus christ as their lord and savior okay so and this it's kind of a confusing thing to talk about because the scripture is very clear as we saw in galatians chapter 3 when you become saved there is no longer jew or gentile okay but we use kind of these terms messianic jew completed jew i don't have too much of a problem with that uh, unless you don't explain it and I think that's where we get a lot of confusion in the church because sometimes, and that's why we had the study that, listen, the Jewish people, just because they're, God's not done with them, we get that, okay, but they don't get a free ride. They gotta be saved just like everybody else, right? But when you use terms like messianic or completed, it's, it, it almost kind of makes there's a division. No, we're all one in Christ, okay? But yet at the same time, God's not done with the Jewish people. So you gotta really balance that out and make sure you understand uh, what you're saying and believing. Now, the next two pages I'm not going to go through. You can read those on your own, but that's a further, even more in-depth breakdown of the three different Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative. But let's get into finishing up with how do you witness, okay, to the Jewish people? Well, sanctify your heart. Make sure your heart's right with God. You certainly need to pray. It's a spiritual battle. Who does the saving? We do. No, we don't. Whoever said that? Uh, it's the Spirit of God, right? So you need to pray, Okay, be ready with a good understanding of scriptures. That's why you're here. Don't argue, don't attack the person, and define your words. Okay, don't use Christianese. Don't get off on tangents. Okay, uh, stick to what's more important, the source of authority, the nature of God, the personal work of Jesus, the nature of man, the means of salvation. Now, that word salvation is a Christianese word. Again, as we're gonna see in just a second, that's a foreign concept to a Jewish person. Salvation, saved, you need to get saved. What are you talking about? Because they already think they have a relationship with God. That's what we see next. In addition, we should be aware that the Jewish people presume, is your blank, they presume a standing with God. Since they're a member of God's chosen people, they believe that they already have a relationship with him, and there's no need of salvation. That's what we saw last week was the heresy, uh, with all due respect, of uh, uh, John Hagee, preaching the dual covenant, that they already have a relationship with God, that they don't need Jesus. No, that's heresy. Okay, but this is their mindset. So when a Jewish person places a trust in Jesus for salvation, the Jewish community, okay, considers that he's turned his back on his people and become a Gentile. No, you became a Christian. But that's how the Jewish community thinks it. Like you've walked away, you've given up your Jewish heritage. And, no, you're not. Jesus was a Jew. Disciples were Jew. Early church, all Jew. Can't get any more Jewish than that, right? And we'll get to that in just a second. All right. Uh, our goal is not that they become a Gentile, but they become a completed Jew. Now, again, be careful of that. It, 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 we're, we're, technically, there's no Jew nor Gentile when we get saved. In the church age, we're all one in Christ, Galatians, right? 
So completed Jew, if you will, means they've accepted Jesus as their Messiah, right? With that Jewish heritage, okay? All right, but let's continue on. He says this, our desire for them is to find a personal relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Jesus Christ. Now, avoid Christian jargon, right? Because we all know it's the sanctified, the justified, and the deep fried, and the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ with the deity and humanity, and you need to understand that. Yeah, we don't even understand that. The unchurched doesn't understand that. The Jewish people ain't gonna understand that. Okay, so be clear with your words, right? Don't use Christianese. Avoid offensive language, right? You don't want to be a further stumbling block, right? And say the Jews or you Jews or the Jewish people, right? That's not probably a good thing. Uh, probably don't tell jokes about the Jewish people of the culture. I think that's pretty common sense. Hey, what are you doing? I like to tell you about Jesus. But before we do that, there was the, the Pope, a rabbi, and this Jewish guy walked into a bar, and they went, no, 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 probably not the best way to lead in, okay? But <laughs> be careful of that, okay? Uh, we must understand that the Jewish people are not the Christ killers, okay? The Christ killers is your blank there. Jesus, John 10, said this, uh, for this reason the Father loves me because I, who, who's laying down the life? Jesus is. He's the one. Nobody took his life. He laid it down uh, for him so that he, I, Jesus, may take it up again. No one's taken away from me. I laid down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Even Jesus, when he confronted Pilate, and Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power? Excuse me, Jesus. And the Bernard, you ain't got no authority over this life, buddy, over what the Father uh, has to say or do okay avoid the idea of converting to christianity okay this implies leaving behind their jewishness okay in fact they're again becoming a complete jew uh, is the blank there complete jew but again be careful with that okay because we're all one in jesus christ okay now that doesn't make them a better quote christian than you and i okay uh, one of the things that we might be able to gain is because uh obviously the old testament uh written in hebrew Okay, and contains a lot of Jewish mannerisms and customs that we may not be privy to, but they are. So maybe they could help us do our homework and maybe getting a fuller understanding of that, but that doesn't make you any better of a Christian than not. The, the heritage is important, right? But that doesn't make you any more of a you know, Christian, right? Am I a, a completed German? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I'm trying to be biblical. Because this is a very hard thing to deal with. Because many people, when you start using this terminology, they just think free ride, difference, they, it divides. And Paul was very clear. When we come to Christ, there is neither no Jew nor Gentile, male nor free. So we're all one in Christ. Right? So I don't bring up my heritage. But this is more for their understanding. Because again, they think that when they accept Jesus, they have to walk away from that. Nobody's asking you to do that. Right? But again, it doesn't become you know, the, their whole identity. You're a Christian. We're one. Okay, that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, as with all witnessing situations, you cannot love somebody into the kingdom. Eventually, they are to be set free from their bondage to sin and its eternal penalty. Uh, penalty. Listen, underline this. You must share the gospel with them. Right? I know what I'm going to do. How many of you guys have heard this? I witness to people with my life. That's great. What are they supposed to do? What, what, do, you, what do you, duct tape Bible verses on your clothes? And you walk by and go, or hold up a sign with the arrow pointing towards your shirt with the Bible verses, read them, read these things on my shirt. <laughs> no, speak up, right? You got to say something, right? Just talk to somebody that day. Well, I never really told them about Jesus, but I tried to witness with my life. Yeah, that's great, but how are they supposed to know? You got to say something and, and don't do an either or, do both. Hey, do both, and that's really good, right? You not only speak up, but you back it up with your life. I get you that. 
You got to say something, right? You got to confront once in a while. Okay, some things to do. Use a Jewish frame of reference. Remember, Jesus and the disciples, and most of the first uh, Christians were all Jewish people, right? Jesus, the disciples, the early church. They also observed the Passover Seder. That's the Last Supper, right? Uh, The Jewish feasts are good bridges uh, to point to the Messiah. Uh, The Passover, who passed, because the uh, symbolizes that, Jesus, sin passing over us, right? Same thing with Jesus. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, who atones for our sin? Jesus, okay. Uh, Christ or Jesus are okay, but it's better to use Messiah with the Jewish people, okay? Mashiach in the Hebrew, okay? Christ is, that's all Christ means, right? It's not his last name, Jesus Christ, okay? Christ, uh, Christos means anointed one, which is the Greek form of Mashiach, which means Messiah. That's all it is. And by the way, uh, Jesus, if you want to get down to it, his last name, okay, would not have been uh, Jesus Christ, right? That's the title, Christ, anointed one, Messiah, okay, it would have been uh, Bar Joseph, okay, Bar means son of, like Barnabas, Barnabas, son of Nabas, right, so it would have been Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, okay, Bar Joseph, so in case you ever get on Jeopardy, that's right, and you get that daily double column, what was Jesus' last name? You just scored some serious points, let's move on. Uh, Salvation should be spoken in terms of redemption, is your blank there, redemption and atonement, for sin, since again, the idea of salvation is completely uh, foreign to uh, most Jewish people. Use the Hebrew scriptures to show that Jesus fulfills prophecies. Since Jesus spoke of his life of being fulfillment of prophecies, most Jewish people will not accept the scriptures as inspired and inerrant, but they will accord it with respect. And then we see this example, right? Jesus, when he's walking, I believe with the two guys with the uh, uh, on Emmaus, right? And he says, in the beginning with Moses, with all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures, right? So you can use the scripture. That's what Jesus did. That's what the early church did, right? They didn't have the New Testament yet. What'd they use? What'd they quote? Old Testament. We could do the same thing today. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these, Jesus says, that testifies to me. What? The Old Testament. But you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Now, there's certain uh, Hebrew passages that speak of the gospel, the, the sin. Uh, some of the classic ones uh, uh, with sin, atonement, Messiah, faith. Uh, Psalm 22, where it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, where his hands will be pierced, right? This is before crucifixion was even. Who's that in Psalm 22? Uh, the suffering servant. That's a very famous passage, right? The suffering servant, the Messiah. Who's that? And it talks about the very things that Jesus went through, right? So some of these passages you can specifically bring up uh, to witness to them. Uh, prophecies, right? Because Jewish people want a sign. I want a sign. I want a sign. How many signs do you need? Jesus fulfilled about 300 as the first coming, and he gives a list of just some of them here. Here's your sign. He was born of a virgin, born of Bethlehem, sold for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by a friend, silent before his accusers, his hands and feet pierced, again, Psalm 22. Garments were divided by gambling. He was mocked, uh, gall and vinegar. He was given to drink, prayed for his murderers. Uh, not a bone was broken, crucified with these. His uh, forsaken Christ, Psalm 22. His side was pierced. He was buried with a rich man, uh, looked upon him whom they pierced, and people esteemed and received him not. Now notice, in every single one of those, it was a prophecy in the Old Testament, and it's fulfilled in the New. Again, this is what you can share with them. Jewish people expect a sign. And you say, hey, listen, he's already given you a sign, the virgin birth. And by the way, how many other ones you want? And again, you don't even have to quote the New Testament. Go back to the Old, right? It's what he's talking about there. Now, point out that the Hebrew Scriptures, as well as the New Testament, speak of two comings of the Messiah, right? Because they're looking for the, still the Messiah. No, Jesus already come. 
And then we'll start talking, well, he's coming again. So, well, what are you talking about? You said he already came. And he's coming. Yeah, he's coming not once, but twice. And this is what we see here. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ was with them, indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Right? So he came the first time to suffer for our sin, for our sake. But he's coming again, the glories to follow. He's going to come at the second coming. He's going to set the millennial kingdom. Woo-hoo! It's going to be a glorified, wonderful time on the whole planet. That hasn't happened yet. He's coming. For, for just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky shines to the other part of the sky so will the son of man be in his day but first his first coming he must what suffer many things and be rejected by this generation by his generation there okay jesus came the first time and he was rejected but he's coming back a second time now sometimes they will get confused even when we talk about not just as uh so much his first coming second coming but then we throw in this other thing okay and it's called the rapture Right? And the rapture is not the same thing as the second coming. Many people get this confused, even in the church, unfortunately. Let me give you a couple differences. At the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air. And some of the people who are proponents against the rapture will say, well, you're teaching there's three comings of Jesus. No, I'm not. He, we meet him in the air. He doesn't come to this planet. If he came to the planet, and that's what I said, then yeah, you're right. But the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming, the believers come back with the Lord uh, to the earth. The second coming uh, occurs uh, after the great and terrible seven-year tribulation. The rapture occurs before the tribulation. The rapture is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. The second coming includes the removal of unbelievers as an act of judgment. The rapture will, will be secret and instant. The second coming will be visible to all. Uh, the second coming of Christ will not occur until after certain other end time events take place. And that's what we see in Revelation. You got the whole seal judgment. You got halfway into the seven year tribulation. The Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt temple, declares himself to be God. Then you got the trumpet judgments. You got the bowl judgments. Then you got the second coming. All that has to transpire before the second coming. Rapture can happen tonight. Major mega difference. It's imminent. It could take place uh, at any moment. And then after the rapture, the tribulation begins. Uh, after the second coming, the millennial kingdom begins. Okay, but two totally different uh, events. Now, uh, undoubtedly, they're going to come and they're going to throw up some objections. And let's finish out with that. Number one, they might say this to you. Christians believe in three gods, but Jews believe in one God. They choke on the Trinity is basically what's going on there. Okay, and they'll say our religion teaches one God. So even though I don't believe in God, if I did, this is the kind of God that I would believe in. Okay, and again, they think that the Trinity in, involves some sort of multiple gods. Okay, but you could say that, well, first of all, Jesus uh, taught and believed in only one God. He quoted the Hebrew Shema in Deuteronomy, Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, etc., blah, blah, blah. So, so Jesus certainly supported that. But you could also uh, challenge them back. And I remember an instructor did this on one of his trips to Israel when he was on a bus with some Jewish people, and he was witnessing to a Jewish girl there, and she was choking against the Trinity. He says, well, could you tell me uh, who is the us in let us make man in our image in uh, Genesis 126? It's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's plural. Who's us? Hmm. That's your big food for thought today. Right? So even that, and that's on the first chapter of the first Bible. That's of the Torah. Right? Genesis, right? So what do you do? Plus, you could also break it down, as we've done many times before. Uh, you got different aspects that you can explain the Trinity, where you can have three, but it doesn't mean it's one. Uh, believe it or not, right now, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I am at the same time. No wonder I'm tired. I'm a husband, okay? I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. Which one's not me? 
Pastor, you're from Mars. Hey, who said that? You're funny. It's not funny. No, it's all me, right? We have a spirit, soul, and a body. Which one's not us? Right? Same thing that's going there. Oh, mathematically, you can see that. See, what they do is they take it and they say one plus one plus one equals three. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's one times one times one times one equals what? One. So even mathematics, three can be one. Okay? And the classic example, of course, is water. You can take something that's water. Right? God presents himself as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but he's still one God. Right? That's what the Scripture teaches. Right? Even the Old Testament, I just quoted Elohim. Right? Let us, who's us, generally, but still one God. Okay, water, if you leave it alone, it stays a liquid. Right? If you freeze it, it becomes a solid. Right? If you heat it up, it becomes a vapor. Which one of those is not water? Same thing. Right? So you can explain that too. Number two, they might say, well, hey, there's no proof that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, this is a typical uh, stereotyped, is your uh, blank there, stereotyped response. The person may have never investigated this. They're basically parodying what the media, or dare I say, uh, the Jewish community uh, says, because that's not true, right? There's no proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, which prophecies would you like to hear? Again, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies proving he was the Messiah. Oh, which miracle would you like to talk about that he fulfilled in the scripture that he was the Messiah, proving he was the Messiah? Okay, which passage of scripture would you like to read where he said it? Let me give you just two very quickly. Open your Bibles to Mark 14. Mark 14. sixty-one, sixty-two, And uh, Mark 14, 61, 62. Let's take a look here. And it says this, and again, the high priest asked him, Jesus, are you the Christ, the Messiah, right? How do you get any more plain than this? the son of the blessed one. And Jesus said, what? I am, right? And you will see the son of man sitting on the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest said, hey, this is great news. No, he tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy with your own eyes. This is why they wanted to kill him because he said he was the Messiah. How could you say Jesus never said he was the Messiah? There's no proof he's the Messiah. Let me give you one more real quick. John chapter four, woman at the well. And this is another obvious one that we gotta move on. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 25, okay, woman at the well, and of course, she meets Jesus there, and uh, he kind of basically lets her know that, hey, I know about your situation, you're living with this guy, you shouldn't do that, you've already had five husbands, the guy you're living with now is not your husband, okay, he knows stuff about me, yeah, God knows everything, Uh, but listen listen to what he uh, he says there, Uh, John chapter 4, verse 25, and the woman said to him, Jesus, I know the, what, Messiah called Christ, okay, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So how can you say there's no proof that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And now you got the prophecies, of course, certainly you got the miracles and the fulfillment of all that, but even Jesus himself, and that's just two passages, right? And even people today, even skeptics of Christianity, not even just Judaism, oh, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. What? And it's just like with the Jewish people, All they're doing basically is what I used to do, parrot the media and the secular educational system that's anti-God, anti-Christianity, is trying to tell you to think about Christianity without ever investigating the facts. Uh, If Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't there peace on the earth? Okay, and again, that's where you explain to him, listen, he came the first time, he's coming twice. He came the first time so that we have peace with God for our sins forgiven, but he's coming a second time to bring that peace on earth. We're just not there yet. So that answers that. How can you expect me to believe in a God after all the persecution we've been through, the Jewish people, not to mention the Holocaust? And it was Christians who did it. Excuse me? And he goes on to talk about how Hitler and claiming to be a Christian, whatever. Excuse, excuse me? Hitler was not a Christian. 
So I'm not going to justify anything that Hitler did. Hitler was an evolutionist and he was an occultist, to put it mildly. He was not a Christian. He may have used Christianity in the beginning and feigned Christianity. He did do that. He snookered even the church. Oh, by the way, you need to realize he didn't just murder 6 million Jews. He murdered uh, around 7 million professing Christians. See, we usually don't hear about that. He wasn't a Christian. So don't blame that on Christianity. Oh, it's the same thing with the Crusades. How many times have you guys, anybody fallen for that trap? That's a lie. Oh, you Christians, how how can I listen to you? The Crusades, how horrible that was. Hey, yeah. I usually, when people say, oh, yeah, they were horrible. They were horrible. No true Christian would ever do that. See, because that's the issue. It wasn't from Christians. It was from the Roman Catholic Church and the popes. They're the ones who are going to stand accountable. You go talk to them. True Christians don't do that. In fact, if you look at the Crusades, they killed Jewish people and Christians during the Crusades. Right? So I'm not going to apologize for something that no Christian did. That's on the Catholic Church. Go talk to them. Okay, the New Testament, they'll say, is anti-Semitic. Is your blank there. And then say, well, okay, which passages? And again, they're not going to be able to typically point to anything. Uh, sometimes they'll point to a harsh-sounding passage in the Gospel of John 8 uh, is one of them. They'll say, because that's where Jesus said, hey, listen, you, are the, you, the, you know why you don't believe me? Because you are the father, the devil, right? And you want to do his desires. You want to murder me. He was a murderer. He's a liar and the father of all lies. And he was a murderer and he's one from the beginning. Oh, see, you guys are anti-Semitic excuse me and he goes on to say this excuse me have you read the old testament prophets have you read jeremiah isaiah ezekiel have you read the minor prophets you talk about a scathing rebuke from god on the jewish people it's way worse than that statement i mean he's he's into them right you how dare you and you're doomed and you're gonna get it and you're really gonna get it and you're gonna this judgment on you and blah right hey if you if you're backsliding I mean, even though we're not under the old covenant, but if you want to know what God's attitude towards sin and rebellion, read, just read, just read, pick, pick one Old Testament prophet and read it. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't play with sin, right? <laughs> but you, right? So you need to balance it out. Excuse me? No, you need to read your own Hebrew scriptures. And you're going to see that God was much even stronger than that. The point is what he brings out is, listen, the point is Jesus isn't just pointing out the Jewish people's sins, Right? God is grieved of all sin, all sin. He had strong words for the Gentiles as well, Old and New Testament. All have sinned. All sin grieves God. So he's not just picking on the Jewish people. That's a false claim. Uh, Jews don't proselytize might be something. And that, quote, I don't think people should push their beliefs on others. What do we see? What was the purpose of the Jewish people? They're supposed to be a light unto the nations, the Gentiles, right? The whole purpose of God raising you guys up, the reason why he gave you initially, as we saw before, the dietary laws and what's clean and what's not clean and the temple was to send the message to the people that God is clean, you are not. He was using you as an object lesson to the nations, i.e. to tell people about God. So how could you say, even as a Jewish person, you shouldn't proselytize? That's your purpose, that God raised you up, let alone to fulfill the Genesis 3.15, out of the sea the woman's gonna come one, Jesus, the Messiah, to crush the head of the serpent, okay? And also, the practical thing is, listen, you might point out that the gospel is your greatest treasure, right? And you naturally want to share it because you care about them, right? If we really believe that if people do not accept Jesus Christ, whoever they are, Jewish person, it doesn't matter. If they do not accept Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, and ask him to forgive them their sins, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. And I keep my mouth shut about it and never say a word? Is that the kind of friends you want to have? No, 
So if you, it's the most loving, if, 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 listen, even if you don't believe what I believe, this is what I believe, but you got to understand, it's because I love you I have to say something. How could you attribute that as being a proselytizer, a hater? It's the exact opposite. And finally, I'm happy with my own religion, okay? You can uh, say, well, it's okay if you don't want to talk about spiritual things, but remember the goal of life is not to be happy, it's to know God. You don't want to leave the planet without him. Okay, and ultimately knowing the truth about God is what brings complete lasting, it's your final blank there, lasting happiness and joy. And if Rabbi uh, Jesus was the Messiah, then why don't rabbis believe in him? Well, the answer is because they wouldn't be allowed to be rabbis much longer. With the kind of community responsibility and weight that a rabbi has, not many rabbis will allow themselves the freedom to ask if Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to close with this statement, kind of builds on that. Why do not the rabbis believe in Jesus today? Uh, as human beings, we don't like to admit that we are wrong, and we especially don't like to admit that we are sinners, but we do like to feel special, important, and valuable. Our human nature loves power and control. You'll not be surprised to know that 2,000 years ago, the situation was not so much different. Religious hypocrisy and corruption was widespread back then. Uh, the love for power and control mixed with religion uh, was back then. It, and so is it possible that the rabbis accused Jesus and his followers of idol worship because they feared that if the people believed in Jesus, they would lose all their power and status? Historical researchers have been able to find approximately 20 historical sources, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls, Josephus, and Rabbinic writings that detail incorruption among the leaders of the people of Israel during the Second Temple period, that they were absolutely corrupt, okay? And uh, listen to this, and they, listen, the rabbis demanded the death penalty for anyone who dared to defy them, okay? And, but Jesus, he didn't disrespect the law of God. He didn't do anything, say anything contrary to the uh, law of God. And he, in fact, he said this, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, I've come to fulfill them. What he did reject was man-made tradition, okay, that were invented and hallowed by the rabbis of his day. It's called the oral law, okay? Jesus knew that tradition produces religion and religion distances us from God. You might be surprised to learn that in the Talmud, you thought the list we saw before was bad? There are 3,000 laws on how to plant zucchini. That's even before we start to talk about how to cook or eat it. Wow. Okay. Jesus understood that the religious leaders in Israel focused on that which is unnecessary, not the essence. They missed the heart of God. Okay. But this is what they used to control the people. Okay. And uh, so according to Jesus, these guys, you, were, you look good on the outside, but inside you're a stumbling block to God because of all your traditions. This is not how you have a relationship with God. You're a stumbling block. But he says this, this is where I want to close. But just for a minute, let's forget about that time period. Imagine that the Messiah came today. Imagine what would happen if he approached the members of parliament, the prime minister and the president, including the leaders of Israel today and challenge each one of them with the list of all their sins, deceptions, and crimes that they have committed against the people and against God. What do you think their reaction might be towards the Messiah? Would they be happy and thank him for coming to show them where they've been wrong? Would they immediately agree and correct their ways? Probably not. Most of them would try to protect their honor and tell the people, don't believe in him. He's a liar. He's an inciter of hatred. He's, here's probably the word they use today, he's intolerant. Away with him, crucify. This was exactly the reaction among the leaders of the time of Jesus. Uh, but back then, the power was in not the politician's hand. It was the religious leaders, the rabbis. 
okay? And they didn't like the fact that Jesus was jeopardizing the authority of the people. They were concerned about their honorable positions in the synagogues and the Sanhedrin. And they were afraid that the people would stop admiring and respecting them. They didn't want to give up the luxurious, comfortable lives they had had, so they decided to turn the people against Jesus. Therefore, that's why they rejected him. This is why to this very day, modern Judaism, the question of whether Jesus is or isn't the Jewish Messiah is not even considered a valid question in their community. Anything that a rabbi writes about Jesus will be based on prejudice and the assumption that Jews should not be allowed to read the New Testament. Okay, Bound by the same prejudice, other Jewish people will often also come to the same conclusion that Jesus is not the Messiah, but not based on substance or truth, but just from a blind man leading another blind man. The rabbis don't want you to know about Jesus even today. Listen to this. And for 2,000 years, they've been dealing with how to conceal the truth of the most famous Jew in the history of mankind, Jesus, the true secret of Judaism. Just like today. Wow. So that's right. Lord willing, next time we're going to be in the exciting next topic, Islam, right? Take a look at that. Is that really a violent religion? Huh? Is the media got it right? There's such a thing as a moderate What's up with that? Well, we'll get to that maybe, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail, and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go 
to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.